I believe in the mystery of what's outside of our understanding. Like, I still pray to spirit, and I have a special name for spirit, and I still believe that there's like a consciousness, that a consciousness of the universe, not in the universe, but of the universe that I connect to or tap into. And I still believe that there could be like these unique divine waves of the ocean that can help us, whatever they are, if they're angels or orishas or whatever the terminology of the of the tradition that you believe in. But But what? I guess you'll just have to listen to the rest of the podcast to find out now, won't you? I'm sorry, am I being a dick? Not really. I don't mean to be. Here's the point. My name is David, and I have edited several of these podcasts for Jera. And the other day, she asked me if I wanted to be a guest on the podcast. Because we've known each other for 15 years, and we have cared for each other, and loved each other, and fought with each other, and been friends, and we have these really deep conversations. And I said, hey, why don't I interview you instead? And we get into this on the podcast. We also talk about the fact that for the first 15 minutes, we thought we were recording and we really weren't. So shit happens like that. Um, So I hope you enjoy this very special episode. Not a very special episode like NBC in the 1980s where we're going to tell you not to do drugs. Do all the drugs you want. Drugs are the best. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed making it for you. And you won't know it, but I'll enjoy listening to the others with you. We won't really be together. Never mind. Here's the podcast. Jer Brown, welcome to the Radical Soul Podcast. I'm so happy that you could be my guest today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on my own podcast. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Uh, well, originally, I don't know, maybe I'll put this in the intro. You had mentioned the idea of, of interviewing me. And I'm like, I haven't, you know, a lot of your guests have like written books and like are known public speakers who are admired. And then you're like, well, I'm going to have this guy on. He's my friend. He's edited <laughs> some of these. That's not fair to you, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I came up with the idea of like, well, how about I interview you, which I think would be interesting for your listeners. I appreciate it. Here's a question I like to ask all my guests, which I took from another podcast, which I took from this podcast, and you took it from another podcast, but it's a great question. (laughs) What are uh, your spiritual roots and beginnings? See, now funny... Like, because we've had this conversation already, I'm like thinking about, do I want to go in the same direction? <laughs> you go whatever direction you want. Yes. Just for to catch the listeners up, we, we didn't know we weren't recording for the first yeah. <laughs> uh, 15 minutes. So now we're doing this again. But I think it's important to get to get out there, right? Right. Yeah. So I'll see if I can do it. Your, oh, your do father it. Yeah. was a pastor in the evangelical church, which mm-hmm. I knew already, because you introduced yourself by saying, I'm a PK. And I'm like, What's that? And you're like, everyone knows PK stands for pastor's kids. What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> and you went to an evangelical college. I thought that evangelical was kind of the further right part of the, not like the people who are protesting at gay people's funerals, like not that far right. But I thought evangelicals were further right than say like Baptist it gets complicated. Like, so most Baptists are evangelical. Okay. There's a a line of Baptists that are actually really progressive. Okay. Christian denominations have these like long histories where they, you know, they split off of other denominations for whatever reason, and then those split and those split. So we tend to see them as this like one Like everybody's the same, you know, when it's not always true, you know, it's just that there's some that are a lot louder than others. Have you seen the movie uh, Blue Chips with Nick Nolte? Yeah, long time ago. 
there's this great scene where he's like trying to recruit basketball players for his university. And he's like trying to just say anything to get the good players to come to his school. And he's talking to this dad in Kentucky and he's the dad, Mm -hmm. like you're, you're Baptist. Right. And he's like, Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) Baptist. And the guy looks him in the eye with one eye squinted and goes central Baptist or Southern. And you can see multi panic. And he's like, well, Southern Baptist, of course. And the guy's like, good, good. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah 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 people care about that stuff yeah it's very fragmented but i'm sorry go on yeah so you said my dad was an evangelical pastor and that's sort of true the denomination that he was a part of disciples of christ i guess they would be like moderate like they're in the middle so i did this before so let's do it again there's like three primary divisions of Protestant Christianity. There's the fundamentalists, which are the far right. And those are the people that tend to like believe that the word, the the Bible has to be interpreted incredibly literary. So they're like the, they're the ones that you'll see where the women never cut their hair and always wear skirts and stuff like that. Right. And then on the far left, thinking like American politics left, there's the mainline denominations like United Church of Christ is one of the big ones. And they tend to think that like the Bible is metaphorical and that it should evolve with the times. Um, And they're the ones that are more likely to be inclusive denominations, gay accepting, that kind of thing. And then evangelicals are in the middle, but they lean more to the right, obviously. And they've continued to lean more and more to the right as they go along. And so the Disciples of Christ is a denomination that tries really hard to not put too many rules or regulations on what a church in that denomination should be like. So if you're in a more progressive area, like all, most of the urban Disciples of Christ tend to be very progressive. Whereas if you're in a small town in the middle of Indiana, like we were, they tend to be more conservative. And my dad, I think it fit my dad really well because he just wasn't sure. Yeah. Like, I think he's a really questioning, critical person, and he taught me to be that way. I think he he's become more progressive over time, in part because I've made him question things. I was going to say, part of that has to be, has to be your influence. Oh, yeah. I, I've made him very uncomfortable over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but you so, and your dad, I should, I mean, at least from my perspective, and your mom, maybe to a lesser extent, but you and your dad have always had a great relationship, it seemed like to me. And you've always yeah. been close with your parents. Yeah. Yeah, I have been. And I think a lot of people who come out of uh, very Christian. And yeah, your parents, you know, were more liberal and like open hearted and understanding than a lot of parents. But a lot of kids who would be like, oh, my dad was a pastor in the evangelical church. And then I came out as queer and, you know, kinky and all these things would not be accepted by their families. Well, do you remember? I mean, okay. So first of all, like my dad in high school, told me like he's never cared who people loved you know he he was very clear about that and he, his was a counter voice to everything that i was getting inside of my church or at school at college like most of the college was very anti gay still is but your dad was like the leader leader of the church as a pastor or were there multiple pastors i'm not sure how uh he was yeah his the church that i went to and like that he was a pastor of and he i mean he left he went back to med school when i was in high school so by the time i started high school he was no longer an active minister he keeps his credentials but right. yeah but when you and i started dating and you moved in and I told mom and dad that you were going to move in with me. He wrote me this email that this was the first time in my life that he was truly disappointed in me. Oh, wow. Do you remember that? It crushed me. I do remember me. that. Later, he ended up helping us work on the house, all three of us. Right. Like, I mean, at that time, like when you moved in, mom stopped talking to me for like two weeks. And dad finally just said, this is silly. Like, 
our daughter's more important than this belief that we have, you know? And I, I don't know how he feels about like not being married and all this stuff, but I think like he's had to accept me being queer. He's accepted me being polyamorous. And like, I think he's had to learn. He He's basically learned to trust that the choices that I make about how I want to love people are in line with my ethics of service and equality. And, you know, like he might not always agree with things, but he trusts where I come from when I make decisions now. And, and does your dad is still Christian. You would not call yourself a Christian anymore at this point. Right. Yeah. Now, is that something he knows? Is that something, and if he knows, has he had a hard time with like that? I would feel like as a Christian parent, that would be the hardest thing for me to deal with. I sort of like hinted around it with him. Like my mom, I don't know. I Like my mom would be the one that would freak out about it, you know? Uh-huh. The thing that I've told my dad is that I don't think that God is limited to one like one faith. And I think, and he believes that too. So I think while he would lament me fully leaving the tradition that I was brought up in and the one where he's found faith, I think I've given him enough comfort around that. Like, I think we're still in a relationship with the same divine spirit. But I I don't know that I want to cause that sort of pain to be like, yeah, but I don't really want to call it a Christian God anymore. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? right. You're, yeah, you kind of choose your battles with your parents as I have. Like being poly, my brother is gay, as you know. And like mm-hmm. my dad has always, not always, but he likes, has liked many of Wayne's partners, you know. Right. But uh, doesn't really acknowledge it or my dad doesn't talk about feelings anyway. But mm-hmm. as far as being polyamorous, when I've said that to my mom, she always says the same thing. She goes, I don't know, Dave, that's pretty weird. It, uh, <laughs> the same sentence every time. Like, yeah. she doesn't want to call it bad. She just right. says, I don't know, Dave, that's pretty weird. That's all she can say. That's funny. It. The other thing that we got to, but that I, I want to address again, is like, there are still things you learned and you believe from back then that, uh, that have stuck with you. Yeah. It's interesting to me, like, we're taught these specific values, virtues, whatever. I've been really struggling with this as I as I write my memoir, like that I believe strongly that everything needed to have a theological justification in order to be right. Uh, explain that a little bit. Every You mean every action a person takes? I mean, like everything that I choose to believe. So is it okay to be gay? Is it okay to get a, an abortion? Is it okay to get divorced? Like, should I, um, what should my life look like? Where should I put my time? Like, when you grow up, a Christian, especially an evangelical Christian, everything has meaning, and that meaning has to be up in line with God's divine plan, and therefore in line with, like, a biblical tradition. When we say everything, are we talking like, oh, do I want grape jelly or strawberry jelly today? I mean, some people go that extreme, right? Like they like sort of pray about everything or think that the everything matters like that. I think for me, it was more like finding these spiritual threads of like my choices and the, the ramifications of them and the kind of person I want to be that there's like a tradition of like things that bring you closer to God and closer to God's will and things that take you farther away from it. So the things that I still have taken from Christianity that were like the, the types of Christianity that I like, that I feel like my, my parents taught me and that I gravitated to was this sort of social justice version of Christianity where the lineage of Jesus or the the witness of Jesus was all about 
like helping the marginalized and like making, creating an equitable society. And the thing is that like that, I still then believe very much in living a life that actively um, works against oppression and works to like serve the community. But I question this really tight narrative that Christians use to say, see, this is what Jesus was all about. And this is what God ultimately cares about, you know, cause like, it's like, if you can't make the narrative sort of like doubt proof, then it's, it might not be true, but in make trying to make it this like perfect thing, we end up just like avoiding or ignoring so many holes. In the Christian narrative. Yeah. You've talked about uh, God and God. Who, this is a big question, obviously, but then it, when you're coming up Christian, you're like, I think there's a very concrete idea of who God is, you know? Mm. But now, do you believe like, okay, there was, it was still all of this, the universe, everything was created by one deity who chose to make a universe. And that's a conscious deity who's making conscious decisions. I remember us talking about this way back in the day. And it was one of those moments where I realized you and I have very different views of the world. (laughs) Can I tell you that I also remember this conversation vividly if we're thinking about the same one, because it was probably like 10 years ago or more, but we both, and we were in our house that that you Mm -hmm. had bought and we fixed up together. And like you were on the stairs and I was down the stairs or vice versa. I remember Mm -hmm. one of us being on the stairs and one of us being below and being very upset with each other. Is that what you remember? Yeah. It's funny. We both vividly recall this. Yeah. I I don't remember exactly where it started. It, It was just this idea that like the world is so beautiful to me at the time. And I'll tell you where I'm at now, but like, the the complexity and beauty of the world was an obvious like sign that there has to be a creator and you know that's what i was taught and it made total sense to me you know and you were still christian and, at this time right and what did you what did you believe at the time i think and and what i believe has has changed too um mm-hmm. but i believed at the time you know i was watching like richard dawkins talk Dawkins talk to people and I was one it's like well I I believed at the time and there's still some of this inside of me too it's like the universe either either you could have had there were only two options 50 50 chances a coin flip of something or nothing there could have been nothing at all or there could have been something and once there is something you kind of stop being amazed by whatever that something is because any something would be as amazing as any other something. It's like a one in a hundred billion shot. It's like, you know, if you can pick the winning lottery, if you can say what the winning lottery numbers is, are that's amazing, but not if it's the day after they come out and you rattle them off. Like they were going to be some random string of numbers regardless. And that was how I felt at the time. So we were completely opposite. Right. Yeah. How do you, where are you, where'd you land? Um, Who's interviewing who here, pal? (laughs) I, you know, I mean, I landed more back and the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know. But I do, Mm -hmm. I think I always say instead of saying, like, here's what I think could be possible, you know, and I, I don't know what. I don't know. And I'm not sure anyone else knows either. Like I have it, but some people claim to, uh, I feel like maybe if there is a God, the entire universe itself is a God. And maybe the universe itself is making conscious decisions again. And I referenced George Carlin earlier, and I don't know if that's before we, but as a comedian, <laughs> I'm always like, these are my philosophers. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually mm-hmm. I think Carlin was a brilliant comedian, but I disagreed with him all the time on his philosophy. Mm. But, uh, oh, I forgot what it was, but there was, I forgot some, what he said. Yeah. There was something about, ah, 
I totally lost it. It'll come to me later when it's not important anymore. Right. So there's this metaphor that I really love about the universe's can <laughs> imagine the universe as an ocean and each wave is the ocean like a specific ah i'm going to fuck this up each wave is this unique entity but it's still a part of the whole right uh-huh. and there's a a tantric belief that like the wave is a way of the universe contemplating its own beauty i like that yeah i do too and like you know if we're each a wave there's um a moment when we're a unique thing and then eventually we just become a part of we go back into becoming a part of the whole yeah, and we we always were a part of the whole, even when right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Sometimes I think of people as like an individual cell in a body, like you know, when yeah. you lose individual cells all the time. I remembered what Carlin said. Now it was like okay. maybe you know we're talking, and this is something I've thought myself is like we talk about oh we're destroying the earth, we're destroying mm-hmm. the earth, and the truth is he didn't say this. I'm saying this. We can't destroy the earth. We as human beings like the power to destroy the earth. Even if we launched every nuclear weapon all at once, the earth would still be here as a planet. We would all be dead and a bunch of... We can make it inhospitable for us. And it kind of shows our hubris and our selfish view of the world that like, oh, by destroy, we mean we couldn't live here anymore. Exactly. That's not destroyed. And George Carlin, his bit was about how like, uh, you know, maybe the Earth is making conscious choices. Maybe the Earth wanted styrofoam. Maybe it's like, I want styrofoam. <laughs> and so it created us to create it. And then once it got it, it was like, well, now I'll create Funny. some disease. And he used AIDS as the example. Mm-hmm. But like you could say coronavirus. It's like mm-hmm. maybe global warming. It's like it wanted styrofoam. It created something to make it. And now that we've made it, it's done with us and we're gone. Mm-hmm. I think things like that could be possible. Like, Celestial bodies like the Earth or the universe as a whole could have a conscious and be making conscious choices. I don't know. See, and I think it it gets back to like, what do you think of as meaning and what do you think of as time? Oh, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to struggle with it. But like, you know, so I was talking about this idea of theological justification and stuff. And it's if we believe that there is a God out there who um, has this end goal in mind, then everything is moving towards that end goal. So like you you can be part of it or not, but it, it's going to get there. So when you picture God, do you picture a separate being who created the universe? Like it is a being somewhere who exists somewhere. I don't know. I mean, I think I I did at the time. I did as a child, you know, and I think that's part of what I struggled with of like this idea of like, is this a being outside of who we are? Is that's where you get into the whole problem of suffering? Then it's like, well, if there's a separate being that's capable of, you know, controlling life, then why do they allow for suffering and all of this stuff? Um, I think now. I believe in the mystery of what's outside of our understanding. Like I still pray to spirit and I have a special name for spirit. And I still believe that there's like a consciousness, that a consciousness of the universe, not in the universe, but of the universe that I connect to or tap into. And I still believe that there could be like these unique divine waves of the ocean that can help us, whatever they are, if they're angels or orishas or whatever the terminology of the of the tradition that you believe in. But there's still the problem of suffering. And there's still this idea of like, what is the universe and what is it supposed to be a part of or outside of? Is it outside of time? Is the universe, what is time to the universe? 
you know? Yeah, you know, I I think about that too. And some people have said to me, you know, some people I consider wise, a lot of the wiser people I've talked to have said, like, oh, you know, there has to be balance there. And and we've talked about this recently too with balance. Like you have to balance out suffering. You know, there's no good without evil. You know, that's a very common belief. But then part of me wants to be like, well, then what's the point? If it's like, an, yeah, if right. it's a zero sum game, zero is zero. Why do we try? Why would we do anything if everything has to be balanced? Because every action we take unbalances something. Like, what's the point? Yeah. I did a lot of research into hope and, um, I was surprised at the amount of people that are environmental activists or social justice activists that don't believe in hope, who are actually pretty pessimistic about the future and who just say, that doesn't get me off the hook for doing what I can. And I actually really love that idea that, you know, we work on what we can control, which is this moment, our environment, our community, the energy we put out into the world. And I think that that's what ultimately bothers me about like one of the things that bothers me about like evangelical Christianity is living for this possible future and in doing so ignoring so much impact that they could have on the people in their day to day. Yeah, that that is one problem with any religion whose it seems like the goal, for lack of a better word, is like if I am a good Christian or Christian, a lot of, you know, if you're baptized and you believe in uh, Jesus and God and you're baptized, then you go to heaven and then you're there for an eternity. So everything else is kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter because I, we're here for such a very short time on earth and we're there for an eternity. So none of this really matters. Do you think right. that was a, a common belief amongst people? I think that like the idea of what this life mattering meant was very different. Like this life was a chance to prove your allegiance. This life was a chance to be a part of this holy war. Uh-huh. But there was always this like idea that because it wasn't the because it's not the end then you know it i get it matters less than it could to other people or maybe it matters in that it is how you attain eternal like bliss it's, right yeah i would love to talk about this some more but <laughs> we have so much ground to cover so here's another thing i heard you say on a podcast recently uh mm. can we talk about sex work for a while <laughs> funny yeah sure <laughs> and i believe the quest, the answer was absolutely i remember that right. was uh kai that was a great interview people haven't heard that one yet i got a lot out of that one so let's talk about your intro into sex work what made you want to do it what it was what you did when you first started and you were saying you still want to have this theological kind of spiritual reasoning for at least making the big choices in like how you lead your life, right? So how did that all connect? Yeah, I, I guess I, I've always been interested in it in some way or another. I think even even growing up, it was the the women of the Bible who were ostracized for their sexual actions or potential sexual actions that fascinated me. And I mean, some of them were sex workers or potentially sex workers, you know, and I think <laughs> there was this, so you and I were living together. I was, I don't know, 31, I think. And I went away to this uh, <laughs> really geeky conference for work. And I ended up sleeping with this guy who was married, supposedly in an open marriage. I hope he was in an open marriage. We should say at this point, like when you met me, I was only the third person I think you'd ever had sex with. Yeah. But yeah. we had decided to open up our relationship and be polyamorous at this point. Right. And you called me very appropriately um, 
a hurricane or a tornado. You called me a tornado. And you called me a tornado when I came back from this conference and told you like all these crazy stories. Because I think I slept with multiple people. Multiple people came on to me. It was just this insane geeky conference where everybody was just horn dogs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I remember like so after after I slept with this guy, I think like the next day we were walking around and he was talking to me about his wife and having a sick kid. And it was, it was this huge therapy session and I left and I went to the airport and I was thinking about the power of sex to open the door of intimacy that they might not get other, have otherwise. And it gives them an outlet, you know, and I was thinking about like the temple prostitutes and connecting this idea of therapy and sex work together as this powerful potential uh, to help people or be of service. Yeah. And of course there's like spiritual, a spiritual lineage lineage of it. Right. So I think that was when the idea dawned on me and then you and I got more involved in kink and then I stayed involved in kink when I, um, I moved to Chicago and I met so many sex workers and I stayed entranced with it, but just, it never felt like it was really for me for a long time. There was this really strong connection of my value of service, which to me is a very spiritual ethic and the possibility of serving others through erotic means. And and do you think you've been able to do that? I mean, sometimes it must be like, oh, you know, it's a job. It's a job and you're like, oh, I'm using this to pay my rent sometimes. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. But yeah, I do. I think that I've, I mean, and all right, like I want to be careful when I say this, that I, I think that all of sex work is like healing to someone or like it can be healing for the sex workers themselves. It can be healing for the the clients. And because of that, like to me, it is a spiritual thing. It just might not be a spiritual thing for everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think for so many of my clients, like it's, we've developed these relationships where they'll message me about like, struggling with their mental health or, you know, we'll talk about like how to, how to come out to a wife or a girlfriend about their fetishes. And there's, there's this deep emotional work that happens because we've created this erotic safe space where they can be themselves. And I, I consider that deep spiritual service. Yeah. That totally tracks to me. Well, let me ask you this. I've uh, known a lot of, I've had a lot of friends who have been sex workers, whether it's like I'm doing cam sex or I'm doing full service or everything in between. Like, you know, I'm, a, right. and I feel like a lot of them were very sexual beings going into it because, you know, I've, you know, these are people, some of them are people I've known since they were younger, but then sometimes come out the other side and it seems almost like enjoying sex less in their personal life. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's something that a happens to sex workers in general or b something you've experienced? I mean, I've definitely talked to other sex workers where it's, and I and I've had this experience where like it it's hard to shut off certain behaviors that feel like they're a job. Like when I'm getting to know people and they ask me for pics and I'm like, "Are you going to pay for them?" Yeah, <laughs> and it's like Wait, we don't have that relationship, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think it also just like you stop wanting to put up with you stop being able to put up with as much bullshit when like being a sex worker gives you better boundaries, you know. So in that way, it could improve your own sex life. I mean, if people were, it depends on who you're dating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there's sort of a fatigue around putting up an erotic image and things like that. But I, for me, I think it's hard to say because I think as I've gotten older, I've become less of a sexual person, as you know. 
Um, I don't, so, I don't know that for sure. I mean, you know, we talk about it, and I hear you. Yeah. One interesting thing about our relationship now is that you know I've edited a lot of podcasts for you, or I or video, and I've read your blog post. You know, so I've heard you talking philosophically and deeply yeah. about things yeah. a lot. Um, and you've heard me some, but to a much lesser extent. So in a way, I'm I'm aware of your life in to a greater degree maybe than you are of mine. And we talk sometimes. Yeah. But I oh, I guess my point was like, but I hear you talk about sex a lot because I, you know, I either listen to even when I'm not editing it, like I just listen to one that you edited and I enjoy it and I I read your newsletters and it's a lot about sex. But I also don't know. Yeah, we have talked about how you've been focusing on writing more and your own career more. I mean, I think that I'm fixated by the idea of sex and the erotic, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's something I want to do all the time. Right. You know. Um, oh, I was going to say, has it become more of an intellectual pursuit almost? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, it's such a huge part of my like shame journey and my like trauma work too because i think that um for whatever reason so hold on yeah i can hear the dogs in there i know this sound from editing the podcast too i'm like well that's the dogs i'm gonna have to edit that out if murphy doesn't eat the food right away when he eats both bowls when he's a big boy yeah (laughs) i for whatever reason like my deepest like wound from growing up was not feeling likable, desirable in a romantic way, erotic way or whatever. So, you know, I, there's this chicken and egg problem was, is it my biggest wound because that it's what happened to develop or is it my biggest wound? Because I've always been fixated by it and therefore the wound cut the deepest, you know? Did you have uh, boyfriends and stuff growing up? I mean, I, I assume growing up evangelical, you were always like, well, I'm not going to have sex. I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z before I get married. I, but I was just like, I was just so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I didn't feel very attractive and like none of my crushes ever liked me. And I had a few boyfriends here and there and I didn't, you know, come out as queer until my twenties, but I always felt like even like most of the boyfriends I had were not, they weren't the, the people that I wanted to pursue or was hoping would pursue me. You know, I didn't date at all in college. And so, like, there's this weird mix of, like, is it me? Is it my body? Am I too weird? Am I not Christian enough at the time? And then later, am I still too Christian? And there always just felt like there was something wrong with me. So, yeah, I mean, I, and how? why did that become this f- fixation on sex? I think it. I just learned – I think I've always been fascinated by the idea of sex and the erotic and, like – now it comes out as like somebody today asked me to for content around guys wearing panties, you know, and uh-huh. like to me, what's beautiful is that it the erotic, even if it it's not this typical idea of sex, becomes this avenue in which we can explore these deep wounds or deep ideas of ourselves that end up having an erotic outlet. And I think that's always been there. But being in a space where the idea of what I want to experience as erotic for myself matches up or aligns with what the other person wants and having the erotic energy and physical energy and whatever to to make it happen, I feel like that just happens less and less. And so I use my continued like sex work mostly through like filming and camming and telling stories and stuff like that to be this creative outlet where I'm able to use erotic energy for good. You're also, could we talk a little bit without naming any specific companies or anything? uh, You, you do marketing for 
that's how you make the majority of of your money. Right. And do you see any like I don't know crossover any like between the your work as a in the realm of spirituality and, and all that. I think I just called it spirituality or something. Do you <laughs> see some crossover between this work that you're doing where you're talking about spiritual and, er, and erotic things and you do a lot of that and that's a lot of who you are. Mm. And then your marketing work. You know, you're doing two podcasts, one about one and one about the other. Do you see crossover? I mean, in in many ways, Radical Soul is a business that I don't get paid for, right? And eventual writing, like book writing, is a business that hopefully someday I'll get paid for. Right. So like running a business, there's overlaps in terms of technology. And like I, I tried to run an ad on Instagram Weirdly, it was, it, I wanted to boost a post that I wrote about Trisha Hersey's Rest is Resistance, and it got denied. And got denied. I couldn't figure out, yeah, like they said, like I, my site wasn't, or like my account wasn't set up to run political ads. And I'm like, how is this political? But like, I found out that for the meta, you know, Facebook and Instagram, almost everything can be considered political. You know, anything that could impact votes in any way. So if there's anything around queerness, it's considered like a political ad or political oh, content. I just got so angry. I know. <laughs> that so makes me very I, and I don't get angry that often. <laughs> so I had I like I asked one of the people that I was working with, like, how do I what do I do about this? And like he gave me directions about how to get approved to run quote unquote political content, you know? Oh. So there, but I think that so much of the time it's so hard to, I mean, I go by a different name, you know, yeah. so that they don't search my content. And I go by three names publicly right now. I've got my provider name. I've got Jara, which you know me as. And then I've got this name that I do marketing content under because it's unsafe to be to be me in various ways, you know? So I don't know. I mean, while there's crossover, it's like diff capitalism rears its ugly head in different ways for all versions of what I do. Boy, doesn't it though? Like, yeah, just yeah. the idea that like, you know, no one would post like, oh, here's my wife and I celebrating our third anniversary. Well, that's political because you're straight. And what are you saying? Only straight. No one would ever call that political. But if you're like, yeah. I'm queer, like, well, now that's political. Like, yeah. Oh, how annoying. Just the idea that like, hey, we exist. Eh, well, it's a little political for you to exist. We right. Don't. Yeah. But yeah, I guess there is like a fair amount of crossover, just like like you said, in, in the marketing of the podcast. I'm sure you're better at marketing uh, this podcast and this aspect of yourself. I feel like I'm better at marketing other people's stuff than I am my own. <laughs> it can be <laughs> but, hard. But I'm also getting paid for it. So, you know. At some point, I had to be like, you, you should put your, your own face on some of these posts. And That's true. Like, yeah, oh, it's very Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have some personal questions. I want to ask you uh, stuff for myself later, uh, just recommendations, but that has nothing to do with this podcast. Oh, I want to ask, we actually are kind of running low on time because I've got a show I've got to get to, but I I want to ask, on this, I feel like the subtitle for this show could be spirituality, whatever that is anyway. <laughs> yeah. Did you say that nearly? <laughs> do you have an answer? To that now, do you feel like you you're coming closer to an answer to what spirituality is? I mean, anytime I'm coming closer to an answer, you should just slap my hand, you know, <laughs> because I I think the point of it is that I mean, look, I I came out of a a faith tradition that was like this is the answer, this is the only answer, this is what meaning is in the world, and and if you don't believe it, you're going to spend your your eternity suffering. I never want to be that person again that believes something like that, and even just the idea of what spirituality is or can mean to somebody, what gives you comfort? 
what opens your mind to the possibilities of the world? What helps you empathize with somebody else? What gives you hope? If you have answers to those, and if those answers feel at all spiritual, then that's what spirituality is. But I think for me, I guess like when I think about spirituality, what I think about is divine mystery and connection with the unknown. Yeah, I I think my answer and some of your past guests answer is something about connection. It's something about connecting with other people or with the universe as a whole and feeling like more connected. There's everyone seems to have something about connection when that comes up. Is there anything else like we haven't really covered? I do have one last question after this, but before well first of all, anything you want to promote while we're um there's a book club I'm starting in 2024 and the first book is a book by Lama Rod Owens called New Saints and it's happening at the end of January on a Monday. I think it's the 29th. So I hope folks will join me in talking about this book that I think is just a really interesting read and I'm excited about the discussion. So it's going to be like a virtual uh, book club where you all read it and get online and discuss it? Yep. Nice. That's fun. So anything else like while we have time? I feel like this was so quick. I feel like I have so many other things to talk to you about. Well, we can do a part two. Yeah. We might have to. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to just throw this out there and like maybe people will be like, oh, yeah, I totally want to hear about this. I remember the idea of this came up when I asked you about being on this podcast. You talked about, I forget if it was you or one of your partners that had the idea of old relationship energy. Uh, That was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was just thinking about like, how beautiful I think it is that we've been dating or we've known each other now for 15 years. And in those 15 years, we've like, even our idea of who we are as, as spiritual beings and what it means to love other people and how to be in relationship with others, how to be in relationship with the world has just evolved so dramatically, you know? And I think all of it is like super fitting for what it means for for this podcast, you know? Yeah, we didn't really talk much about our relationship, but it's like, it means the world to me. Like it's, uh, I, I, we could do a whole podcast about, and I will say that was one of the things that I was a little nervous about going into it because we have such a great relationship now, I think, you know? Yeah. But, you know, we could dig through all the old bones and pull up a few things where like one of us would be like, yeah, you were a real jerk that time. Well, you were a real (laughs) jerk that time. And we'd both probably be right to some extent. Well, originally my idea, the way it really came about was like, I was like, you know, I'd been listening to the podcast a bunch and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'd love for us to just sit and talk. Not not the idea of recording it at all, but just Mm -hmm. for us to have. And we do sometimes have like, you know. 20 minute, 30 minute long phone calls every now and again. But I was like, yeah, I'd love to just sit and just talk about all these things, you know? Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But it is great that we've chosen to still be in each other's lives, I think, in a really positive, fun way. I do. And I I think that what that becomes is these cornerstones or touchstones where we can look at who we were and look at who we've become. And it it gives me a lot of hope, I think, you know, because I was so dead set on like the type of partner I thought I needed, uh-huh. you know, and it's weird to me. Like now, like when we started dating, I didn't feel like you were around enough and like you weren't spiritual enough and all of these things. And now I think like you're, you're more spiritual in many ways than you used to be. That's definitely um, for sure. And that's changed a lot in the last four years. Yeah. Four years is recently for me, but. And my idea of like, I think like how much I'd want a partner to be around or what independence in a relationship looks like has evolved so much that like, I look back at the, the me that I was at 30 and I'm like, oh, 
little baby. (laughs) (laughs) You're a little suffocating. (laughs) I feel like in a lot of ways, the student has become the master. You know, like when we met, I was much more sexually experienced than you, if nothing else, you know. And like now I feel like, and I felt more worldly, so to speak, than you in some ways. Like uh, I was older, you know, by a few years and like all these things. But now I feel like you're like the wise one who I would go to (laughs) to be like, I'm struggling with this concept. You're the person, Mm -hmm. you know, I would go to with these questions. But we allow, we nurtured each other. We allowed each other to evolve into these beings, which, you know, I'm just so appreciative of. I'm reading um, Polly Secure right now by Jessica Fern. You sent me a passage from it. Yeah. So it's a book about um, attachment styles or attachment theory in polyamory. And looking back at our relationship then and now, like, I learned to be secure in many ways with you like what it meant to feel secure in a relationship. And now you're one of the few people in my life that I feel very, what did, there's a term, um, secure attached, which means like there's this trust that a person will be emotionally available. And like, you're somebody that I turn to when I, when things get rough, because you continue to be that one of those people that I know that I can turn to. Yeah, time proves a lot of things. And that's old relationship energy right there. Yeah. 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 Man, I have other questions, but that seems like such a good place to to end. I'm going to ask this last question anyway, and then, okay. then we'll Do be done. So uh, uh, thank you for, for being on your show. Um, mm-hmm. Last question. Ari, are you happy? Oh, Wow. Can I tell you something? I said to myself, I'm going to ask this question, and then she's going to go, oh, wow. I didn't know. <laughs> Did I you didn't really? The, I didn't get the inflection right. I didn't get the inflection perfect, but I knew you were going to say two words, and they're going to be, oh, wow. That's funny. Do I say, oh, wow, very much? No, not necessarily, no. but I knew you, that would be your response to this. Oh, that's what 15 years does. Um I think, you know, I remember you telling me way back when that I was somebody that would never be happy. And God, what a shitty thing to say. I'm the worst. Well, no, I think, you know, I remember I recently I sent you that piece about um, Agnes, the philosopher and the New Yorker. And I just was like, crap, I relate to this person a lot because there there is just this insatiability that she was never she was never going to be content with the relationship. Right. Uh You know, and I think you were pointing this out to me that like, I was somebody that was sort of dead set against being content, you know? And I, I think I still really have that energy where like, it's really easy for me to be like, I really need this to change in my life and this to change in my life. And I question this a lot of, am I keeping myself from contentment by continuing to like strive for things, you know, and so much of it, I think that my life is deeply impacted by, I mean, all of our lives are deeply impacted by capitalism, but I feel like I've just gotten like one of my other partners was like, yeah, you've just like been like beaten up a lot by life in a lot of ways. And it was sort of validating to hear them be like, thank you. That is what's happening. You know, like just, it feels like financially I've not been able to catch up and my health has, I keep like twisting my ankles and I have all these issues. So in some ways I'm like, I don't know if happy, unhappy is the right word. I feel like I'm waiting for, to catch a break, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also just like so grateful for so much of what's in my life and what I'm capable of doing. And I'm grateful to have time to spend working on Radical Soul and my memoir. And I'm grateful for the relationships that I have. And I'm grateful for my dogs and the ability to get out into the woods every day. And like, I'm grateful that I become somebody that people just randomly strike up conversations with in the coffee shop and like, 
so I don't I don't know that I'm happy, but I'm I'm grateful and restless. Yeah, maybe <laughs> restless. Um, yeah. Well, I will say that you have become one of the most interesting people I know. And that's saying something from, you know me, I know, yeah. I know some very interesting people, especially being a comedian mm. and traveling around. You meet some fascinating people and you mm. uh, top most of them easily. And I top them. Wink, wink. Is that what? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'd, I bet comedians go to a lot of sex workers. I don't know why I feel that way, but I just feel like that. <laughs> There's probably a lot of, um, but you, like one thing a lot about you has changed since we met, but you, when I met you, you were one of the most open hearted people I'd ever met. And you were like, had this curiosity about life and neither of those things has changed about you. When I met you, you had a naivety, a naivete, whatever, about yeah, you, you were yeah. so, you, you felt more, you had this like wide-eyed innocence almost, I felt like. And that, I think to your credit, is the, the, the innocence like that you kind of had is gone in a good way. Like, mm-hmm. and it's been replaced by this like worldly wisdom, but with the same open, like a lot of people become cynical. And I don't think I've seen you become cynical or jaded for more than like a week at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Then it goes away. You know, you still, you come back roaring with like, I still want to find out about the universe and everything. Mm. So it's really been, it's, it's been, like I said, when the student became the master, I'm like, you seem like the wise person I want to go to now when I have questions. Mm. And it's because you've, you've explored so much like intellectually, but just also traveling around and uh, talking, you, you know, you want to talk to everyone, it seems like, and you meet interesting people, like you know fascinating people now, and we all get to hear them on this podcast, so that's nice. Well, thank you. That's it. Now your ego's too big. Get out of here. You should, um, before we end... Yeah. You asked me if I had anything to promote. Tell people about your new album. I have a new album called Possum Pals. It's in all the regular places. I have an old album called The History of the Universe, oddly enough, because I think about this too from a very different perspective. It's true. And uh, oh, the thing, the great thing, there's also an opera singer named David Britton, who I think is very religious too. A lot of his songs are like, hallelujah, praise Jesus, like he is risen, kind of like. But he's like a he's based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and is and is fairly well known in his circle. You know, mm. plays theaters okay. and stuff. And somehow this uh, album, Possum Pals, ended up on his discography on Spotify instead of <laughs> mine. <laughs> well, much probably to his chagrin. I picked up fourteen new followers. I don't know, <laughs> but it's got to be confused. But I think that's been I don't know. But anyway, the new album's called Possum Pals. I'm going to go do some, I have a show tonight where I'm going to go do some bits from that. So yeah, check it. Just Google David Britton comedian. Look for David Britton on that album is on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's on Amazon. It's on all, all the places you would listen to an album. If you Google my name and a guy who looks like an opera singer from Tennessee comes up, keep looking, you'll find it. And I'm on there with my friend, Megan Gilbert, who's very funny. And it, I think it has like, I mean, it has a lot of themes. Like, you know, there's a lot of poly jokes. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you might get offended by things because it's it's comedy and that happens, you know, but. I mean, that's true. I feel like I'm less offended. There's certain jokes I've done in the past where I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that joke. But, you know, yeah. again, you, you evolve and you learn and you change. But there's like, right. yeah, like I've offended at people on the right i've offended people on the left i've offended you know it's just like if you make jokes for i i will say one thing that's changed a lot for me as a comedian is i started out wanting to be like i'm the smartest guy in the room and i'm going to show it to all of you people and this is it was mm-hmm. and now it's like i go in there think of it as a service as like a thing i want to give people you don't know what's going on in people's lives they're having a hard day a hard life a hard week whatever and if you can make them laugh for 30 minutes, 
or an hour, then that's a great gift. You And I, that's a great gift you can give to people. And I started coming at it from that perspective. Like, I want to be the general in charge of fun at the front of the room. Who's like, my job is to make sure we all have a good time. We're all going to have a good time and I'm going to make it happen. That's how I think of it now. Still do some of the same jokes, but. When you edit this, will you uh, fade us out with make them laugh, make them laugh? I was talking about this song today. I was talking to <laughs> one of my partners who was like, hey, have you ever seen Singing in the Rain? And I was singing that very song today. I, I was singing it earlier today. That's weird because I don't sing it every day. So it's weird that you would right. bring that up. But yes, I will give me another job to do. Why don't you? That's right. Taskmaster. Every time you laugh on this podcast, you move your head away from the mic. So no one's ever going to know. So it's like, <laughs> thanks for sticking around this time. Yeah. Uh, all right. I got to be at my show in half an hour and I'm half an hour away from there. So. All right. Go do your thing. Thank you for doing this. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.